Hello and welcome to the second issue of The Cape and the Cowl, or Cape and Cowl. Um, my name is James Willits. I'm Olivia Cottrell. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the events in comics this week. We're going to be hazily recapping Secret Invasion, one of Marvel's big summer blockbuster events. And we're going to be talking about some of the comics that we picked up this week that we'd recommend for you. Let's talk about the week in comics. Olivia, what would you like to talk about? Has there been any big news that, you, uh, that you've that you picked up on? Uh, well, the big news for me um, this week has been uh, the spoilers, by the way. If you're following the Avengers vs. X-Men events, which uh, I don't know, maybe you are. Maybe you're a fan of self-inflicted misery. I don't know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the uh, event is wrapping up now. Um, things are starting to take their toll. And uh, Charles Xavier just died, guys. I didn't know he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that does somewhat undermine the whole strength of he's dead now when, you know, he's not really been a relevant part of the X-Men for about 10 years. I um, A couple of weeks ago, actually, I downloaded um, uh, the... Uh, new X-Men tie-in. I think it's the new X-Men tie-in with the Illuminati, which I, I love the Illuminati. Okay, yeah. Uh, for you, the Illuminati are brilliant. <laughs> for you guys who uh, don't know who they are, basically uh, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, and Namor, and also Captain America, sometimes have meetings where they all turn up and they just basically have a jerk convention. <laughs> and um, Charles Xavier was also a member, but I, I thought he died and then he turned up in this comic alive and walking <laughs> yeah he well i mean he's he's died in the past and you know he was he used to be crippled and then he got better and then he was crippled again and then he got better like but what i'm saying is that basically things don't really stick with charles xavier <laughs> so it, again which kind of undermines the whole he's dead now and it's for reals yo yeah um yeah like it's have you have you read? So it happens in AVX round eleven or Avengers versus X Men round eleven, um, and the fact that it's taken eleven issues for something actually consequential to happen is, you know, somewhat ridiculous. But are you? I'm assuming that you're not reading Avengers versus X Men. <laughs> I've read the relevant panels. Let's say. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So you've you've seen it. Um. I. It was actually it was advertised in the Guardian, and it was the like it was so bad. Like comics reporting in mainstream media, it's just um, awful. Is pretty pretty terrible. Um, but it, it it doesn't really it isn't any better if you have read <laughs> the uh, the comic. Um, because yeah, Cyclops, who has now got the power of the Phoenix, just straight up kills Professor X. Um, I was more upset that he killed Emma Frost, to be honest. I, I don't I don't think he's supposed to have killed her. I oh, think right. he's basically just stolen the power from her. It was really um, unclear. <laughs> yeah, it it is. Um but actually it it's more my main problem is that it undermines a couple of really cool moments in um in, in the thing. Um and th- there are actually genuinely a couple of cool moments. First of all is um, so the first page is Cap going and begging someone for help and the second page reveal mm. is that it's Hulk. And Hulk is saying that Hulk will smash for you, <laughs> which um, basically so it's Cap saying, despite the fact that I have all of the Avengers on my side, I can't beat Cyclops. Like we we need you. I I, I know you. I know you only fight a fight worth fighting. I'm telling you, this is one of those fights. Will you help us, please? Um, it, he says, um, where is it? Um, you know, we've got history together. And right behind him is stood Iron Man. <laughs> I just really wish that Hulk had gone, yeah, you know that whole history thing? Iron Man shot me into space. Look, what's a little space travel between science bros? I mean, come well, on. Yeah. Um, but no, so Hulk teams up with him. It's still not enough. Uh, the, the X-Men all come and join the Avengers, <laughs> which means that the whole Avengers versus X-Men has just become Avengers and X-Men versus Cyclops. Um <laughs> So, so it's not the title isn't even accurate anymore. Um, so all the X Men team up with the Avengers, and then 
everyone goes and fights Cyclops and Emma Frost. Cyclops turns on Emma Frost to steal her power. Um, he, he, well, a, again, it's slightly unclear, but he sets Magneto on fire. Um, he he completely disintegrates Wolverine, but you know Wolverine will get better from that. And then he kills um, Professor X. Bummer. There's not really the thing is there's not really anything more that you can say about that. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, that's certainly a thing that happened. That is definitely a hundred percent a thing that if you pick up A versus X, you will read. You it. will see. You will be able to read. You will be able to see those pictures that you've probably already seen elsewhere. Yep. I thought it was interesting, though. The the big theme with Professor X has been sort of that he's proud of Cyclops and that Cyclops is something of a, a sort of son to him. Mm. So, like, I can understand what they were shooting for here. You know, I can sort of... I get that sort of the idea was that... Um, I guess Professor X felt like he'd failed. Um, but the thing is, it didn't have a lot of emotional impact because Professor X hasn't been relevant in X-Men comics for a very long time and Cyclops himself has been a sort of slightly morally ambiguous figure for a while as well. I can remember sort of him trying to lead the team in Astonishing um, sort of making tough decisions sort of maturing into this leader who sometimes has to sort of do things the hard way and so to be honest, seeing them fight doesn't have the emotional impact it might have once had. Well, he kicked he kicked Professor X out of the X Men. Yeah. Um, because Professor X was no longer a, a mutant, um, a- I think, and also was walking again. And so Cyclops said, "You're no longer part of this team." Like, um, so that it's not like they've you know yeah. been best buddies up until now. It's. It is very inconsequential, but I think I think you you're totally right. Professor X hasn't been really around, and so like every time, like it's been fairly clear just from the fact that he's appeared in every issue, but not really been doing anything up until this point that he was probably going to be killed off for real. Mm. Um, but Cyclops has been taking on more of the mantle of the the mutant leader. Um, away from Professor X. And I think that Astonishing is definitely where it started. So uh, Astonishing X-Men actually is, is probably the best place to dip in if you're if you're wanting to sample um, some of the X-Men. It's written by Joss Whedon, so it's absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, and it has Colossus in it, and Colossus is my favourite X-Men, so uh, it's got to be good. Um, I believe the first uh, trade... Um the first collected trade of Astonishing X-Men under Joss Whedon is called uh, Gifted, and it also yeah. features Emma Frost, who's my favourite X-Men. So. And in fact, it's a really good... It's got a few of my favourite X-Men. It's got Beast, who I love. Uh, it's got Kitty Pride, who's just amazing. Um, it's got... It's got Wolverine, but so does every X-Men team. <laughs> um, and it's got Colossus, it's got Emma Frost, it's got Armour, who Armor's is excellent cool. as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's worth picking up. Avengers vs X Men, not so much. Don't bother with that. Go for you know some some good. There's there, there's enough good X Men comics out there yeah. that you don't need to bother with Avengers vs X Men. Um, and that is really all I really want to say about that. Yep. That I'm I'm putting that that to the side. <laughs> oh, we are done with Avengers vs X Men. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, what else has been going on this week? Zero issues. Ah, the yeah. DC Zero issues. Do we really need them a year after their big reboot? Surely, you know, there isn't that much to recap. <laughs> no, there isn't. Um, the stuff. Well, like- that's pretty much covered it, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Done. Last word on zero issues. Well, the bits I saw from the uh, Batman and Robin one was pretty nice. Um, I mean, the idea of having, I think now with the new Batman timeline, he had four Robins in five years, which Mm. begins to... I mean, Batman and Robin's a bit suspect anyway. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, just for that. But then the idea that he went through four kids in five years is... Number one, it may it makes no sense considering the character of Dick Grayson, because he's the guy who got too old to be Robin. Yeah. And then 
so then he went straight from Dick Grayson for a year. So Dick was must have been like 13 when he retired. And then he went straight to Jason Todd, who must have died the next year. On to uh, Tim Drake, who is who must have like spent a year, two years being Robin. Yeah, and then went on to Teen Titans. And then Damian Wayne. And well, yeah, and that's skipping over. Um, oh, Stephanie! Is it Stephanie Brown? Yeah, I mean, spoiler: who was? Um, she doesn't was exist the in the DC. I well, I still hold that she does. Well, as far as I'm concerned, she still does. <laughs> she was Robin. Uh, it's outrageous that they're trying to write her out. It is. It's. It's suck. Haven't they learned their lesson from last time? I mean, you know, when they killed her off, there was such a huge outcry, and people would never, you know, stop talking about it, and and rightly so because it was a terrible, terrible thing to do. You know, the only girl Robin, and they were determined to forget about her. And they finally brought her back, put her in a prominent role as Batgirl, gave her her own memorial case, you know, in the Batcave, and then and now she doesn't exist anymore. Cassandra Kane, uh, Batgirl, pretty yeah. much like. Unless people remember that Damian Wayne is also half, uh, he's half Arab, Middle Eastern. Uh, she's the only like non-white member of the Bat family. Yeah. And they forget completely forget about her, and it just makes me cross. <laughs> yeah. And it, it the Year Zero issue highlights the ridiculousness of this reboot because it, you've got everything that they want to pick and choose. But it makes no sense now. Yeah, I mean, I so I picked up, I picked up Batman um, Year Zero and uh, before not Year Zero, Batman Issue Zero. Uh, and be- before we started recording this, I was just saying to you, um, the so basically the, these Issue Zeros are meant to be like kind of these are the origin telling stories. Obviously, with Batman, you've got a little bit too much of the origin <laughs> already in place. Um, so it, it kind of is just telling untold tales from his origin. So um, the, the main story is him fighting the Red Hood gang um, and almost being killed because he hasn't done his research and the guy that he's impersonating is left-handed and likes to shoot people and he smacks a policeman in the face with the gun in his right hand and they realise that he's not this the guy that he's meant to be playing and um and it's nice like it's it's you know in its way it's it's a good it's a good little story like it shows batman before he was the world's greatest detective before he was you know the world's greatest martial artist before he had everything that made him batman um, it's got some nice character interactions with Jim Gordon. Um, the, there's some nice setup of some stuff that hopefully they'll come back to where actually he's not living in Wayne Manor. He's actually living um, in Gotham itself proper, like kind of almost slumming it in a in an abandoned warehouse, which was one of the things that I... Uh, was it... Was that a Batgirl thing that she... Yeah, she was um, um, living uh, Cass Kane in um, uh, Batgirl Kicking Assassins. She moved to yeah. Bloodhaven and set up in a uh, set up in an abandoned warehouse. Yeah, and I really liked that. I know like it was a little bit of a callback. Yeah. And, and Kicking Assassins is really good. Yeah. I really like that. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed that and appreciated that. Um, but actually, it... it feels like it finishes a little bit like halfway through a story um and there's a big thing saying to be continued in 2013 which i didn't really appreciate bearing in mind this is supposed to be like i I was hoping for a one and done story um but yeah then then there's a little bit of a backup which shows actually each of the robins um and that's a much much better story actually um and that basically is like it shows James Gordon, um, Jim Gordon putting the bat signal out for the first time and basically talking about how Gotham has to know that there's something else out there. Um, and then uh, and Barbara like watching and seeing this, this bat signal. Um, and then it shows each of the Robins. So it shows um, 
Tim, Dick and Jason um, seeing the bat signal for the first time. Um, and so it kind of puts a little bit of a timeline there of how old they are. So at that point, Tim's 12, Jason must be 13 and Dick must be 14. But that still really does, you know, the problem is in putting that it's only been five years, you you are having to condense a lot of storyline into a very short amount of time, particularly if they're still saying that all of this everything is canon you know well just looking at uh tim drake's life that means in the year that he was robin um his dad died like yeah that he worked out that batman was bruce wayne his dad died um he joined the teen titans uh i'm trying to think what is canon what isn't because he's interacted with some characters that don't exist anymore now and they're a fairly important part of his life like superboy yeah. Uh, oh, my head hurts now. Oh, uh, DC. Yeah, what are you so, doing? So, yeah. So basically, <laughs> these zero issues. My my big question about it is just it has only been a year since we completely relaunched the DC universe with the new Fifty Two. Um, every single comic started again from issue one, and we tried to rebuild the universe from the ground up. With that in mind, having origin stories and, and more to the point, having like kind of a big like media splash of these are jump on points at issue zero. Are we going to do this next year again and have issue 0.5? Apparently, because it's see you in 2013. <laughs> yeah. Like it, so, so yeah. I'm, I'm just a, like, is this because it's? Is, are they worrying again? Are we going to relaunch it again and hope that this time it sticks? Um, yeah. So not, not great. Um, but like, yeah, that that bat, that Batman comic had a, had a nice little backup. Um, and the actually Batgirl issue zero, which I also picked up, was really good. Oh. Really, really good. Um. And I'm really interesting because basically it ends with her opening the door um, in The Killing Joke. Oh, not another Killing Joke reference. Well, yeah, but nice because it actually, like, it it basically it condenses her entire, like, origin down to the point where she first meets Batman through to The Killing Joke in a single comic, but basically framed around a single fight. Um, and like kind of her first fight um, where she dresses up in a replica Batman costume that the police mm. are using um, to try and work out how Batman could have, you know, got all these powers. Oh, um, interesting. And it's, it's really good. Yeah. Um, it's really nice. Cool. And Batman turns up and says, like, oh, well done. <laughs> and, then, and then leaves. It's very nice um, of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, along with the backup, which shows her and the Robins watching the bat signal. It, it's a really nice, it's been a really nice way of like actually coming to appreciate Batgirl a little bit more. Um, bearing in mind that I haven't really liked the switch from Oracle to Batgirl again. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. I think that's all the news that has really happened. Yes. That's all the news that I can think of. It's been a bit of a quiet yeah. couple of weeks, to be honest. There's like that, that, the Charles Xavier stuff has only really come out this week. Yesterday, like last really. couple of days, yeah. Um, so, no, let, let's move on. Um, do you, you were saying that you wanted to recommend some non-Marvel like Marvel, DC stuff, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was thinking, like, last week we did talk a lot about Marvel and DC, and we, we talked a lot about... Uh, I, my, my pull list at the moment is mainly Marvel because I don't have a lot of money so I tend to sort of spend money on the comics that I really want to catch up on so it's usually just uh, Invincible Iron Man um, and then just um, whatever else I can afford in addition to that um, so I was thinking about some of the indie comics that I really really adore um, maybe the ones that I don't pick up monthly but I wait for the trade and uh, try and pick up uh, when I when I when I do have the money, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I was thinking of recommending uh, if anybody 
was thinking of picking up uh, some indie comics and exploring outside the world of superheroes. Um, I was going to recommend The Sixth Gun by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt, um, which is a western, a supernatural western, um, about, um, funnily enough, six guns, um, who, that have uh, mystical powers um, said to have been given to this confederate general by the devil himself. And now um, this general has been defeated and these six guns are scattered out in the world. And um, this uh, girl, um, Becky, something or other, um, it's been a. I should have. I should have looked this. Looked at this before I did this recommendation. This is. This is how organised and professional I am. <laughs> uh, and uh, her and um, this guy called Drake Sinclair, who used to sort of work for this Confederate general, um, are sort of trying to track down the rest of the guns and also sort of encountering a bunch of supernatural horror stuff on the way. It's really, really good. It's it's quite scary, but in a good way. It's sort of scary in the way that Hellboy is scary. So not necessarily, like, proper horror, but more just like, oh, that's that's gross, or like, um, oh, that's really creepy. Um, and it's cool to see um, how they incorporate sort of some weirder supernatural elements into the story and uh, the unfolding sort of story of the six guns and what they might be uh, and what they might mean, what it might mean for the fact that Becky and uh, Drake... Um, have one of each. Does did that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's um like? Is there anything that it's like? I was gonna say it's a bit like. Um, uh, have you seen the TV show Supernatural? Yeah. Uh, to me, it had sort of similarities in tone and the way that they incorporated supernatural elements uh, to the first couple of seasons of Supernatural. Um, okay. I'm quite fond of that sort of Americana sort of travel and supernatural stuff uh, sort of genre. Uh, it also reminded me a bit of Hellboy. Um, but yeah, the, definitely, um, I would definitely recommend checking out The Sixth Gun um, as an indie comic um, if you want to look outside Marvel and DC. I I believe Cullen Bunn also is at the moment writing the Captain America team-up series over at Marvel. Uh, so um, he's kind of like getting into the mainstream, but it's the sixth gun that he really made his name with. Okay. Oh. And um, do you want me to recommend another one? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, another uh, indie comic that I recommend that just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Um, is it just wrapped up its first volume? Is Saga by Brian K. Vaughan, I believe. Um, and uh, this is like a um, space fantasy. It's completely out there. Like, there's nothing I can really compare it to because it's insane. Um, yeah, it is. It is supposed to be very good, but very weird. It is. There's there's people with TV heads. There's um people with horns, there's uh, magic horn people versus technology wing people, and then there's ghosts and, and, a, and a tree that's a rocket ship. It's amazing. Like The first uh, six issues are available uh, via Comixology, and it, it is really good. If you, if you like fantasy and you like science fiction, and you're on Impossible Podcast, so I assume that you do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then definitely check out Saga. It's 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 quite adult. It's not all ages, you know. There's boobs. People die. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you're a grown up, go read Saga. It's really good. I can't recommend it highly enough. And the art is absolutely gorgeous. And also, Brian K. Vaughan's letters page is pretty hilarious. Really, I yeah. love a good letters page. <laughs> I am very fond of letters pages. Journey into stationery. Uh, Kieran Gillen's letters page was always fantastic, uh, especially when people mistook him for Karen Gillen. <laughs> that that would be yeah, that would be good. <laughs> and uh, Saga's letters page is brilliant. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I Saga in particular, I have heard lots of good stuff about. Um, I, I mean, Brian K. Vaughan is a fantastic writer. Um, uh, and hasn't really done much stuff recently, so um, 
yeah like that that's one that i think I'll, i'm going to try and pick up then i'll let you know if I, if i pick it up i'll let you know um but my so my recommend um and i like this for me is probably this is probably my favorite comic at the moment um is the manhattan projects um it's by jonathan hickman um and I, I'll read you the blurb. Um, so this is this is what like kind of the actual hook of the of the comic series is. Um, what if the research and development department created to produce the first atomic bomb was actually a front for a series of other more unusual programs? What if the union of a generation's brightest minds was not a signal for optimism but foreboding? What if everything went wrong? Dun dun um, dun exactly yeah and it's so basically it's um all of the like the the characters are all of the scientists on the manhattan project weapons program um so you've got einstein oppenheimer um feynman um werner von braun um fermi like loads of really cool stuff um fdr appears in it he's um he's dead now so he's been turned into a supercomputer um <laughs> harry harry truman is um a member of a uh, of the freemasons who basically in in this continuity uh, are just a continuation of the mayan empire <laughs> um, like it, so uh Werner von braun has got a giant rock uh, a giant like rocket robot arm um the the first episode uh the first episode the first issue um has an attack by japan where they drop um they they drop Honda robots that are kamikaze samurai, <laughs> um, and basically they've got an hour's worth of like kind of life in these robots. After which they blow up, but like kind of they they the the Japanese like send them into the uh, the weapons program to kill all the the scientists. Uh, and basically, there's just this like kind of there's this whole background of this secret science war between. Um, between like kind of first of all the Nazis and the Americans, and then the Americans and the Japanese, and then the Americans and the Soviet Union. Um, it, if I was going to describe it as one thing, I'd say it's historical fringe. <laughs> um, so if you if you enjoy fringe, if you like that kind of sciencey, like more science sci-fi, uh, it's really really good. But the art in it is absolutely incredible. Um, the the person who does it is. Um, Nick Patara, though I don't know what else they've done, um, but Nick Patara and Geordie Belair, who does the colours, just absolutely brilliant. It's so loose, um, and it looks like nothing else out there. Um, but the, the colour pattern is, it's all like kind of, you know, reds and blues, um, and there's just some absolutely mental stuff in there. So, as well as like kind of, you know, all the. Uh, all the robot arms and stuff you've got um without wanting to spoil it einstein there's multiple reality einsteins um oppenheimer is um well basically has split personalities um and might not actually even be oppenheimer um <laughs> sounds insane yeah it is like the the re like what i definitely say is go and pick up if you can find the first issue i mean it's only six issues in so um the, the trade has just been released um this week um go and pick up that first issue if you like that first issue get all of them because they're absolutely fantastic and i just i i've no real idea where it's going <laughs> um I and mean, we've had so far we've had them visiting alternate realities we've had um we've had an alien like kind of well they our first meetings with extraterrestrials which then proceeds to have us um like sending a delegation back to the extraterrestrials after we killed those extraterrestrials who've come to meet us and eat their brains so that we can gain their knowledge oh, like and no. it's that kind of thing on a like a grand scale it, it's hugely violent um like it, again it's not you know an all ages thing but if you like history if you like space program stuff if you like the idea of an alternate history 
uh, feel bad science is how Jonathan Hickman describes it. And well, then, uh, then yeah, pick that up. It's absolutely beautiful. It's very nice indeed. And I've not really heard anyone saying good stuff about it. So I want to really pick that up because it is very good. Cool. Yeah. And then the other thing I picked up was Thief of Thieves by um, Robert Kirkman, which I picked up the first trade of that, uh, the first trade paperback of that, which came out this week as well. Um, and that's very good. It's very slight. Um, and I think that if you're going to try Robert Kirkman, there's better Kirkman stuff to, to read. Um, I think The Walking Dead is excellent. Um, and I actually think that Invincible is is probably one of the best superhero comics out there um, in its own little universe. Um, and I, I'd recommend both of those. But Thief of Thieves is basically, um, it, it's it's sort of an Ocean's Eleven style thing. It's very twisty. There's a lot of like kind of double crosses. Um, but it's it, it's good, but it's very slight. Like it took me, it only took me about 20 minutes to read the trade. Um, so it, it's not got a lot to it. Um, and I think it probably benefits from being in a trade because I can imagine that it's very inconsequential if you're just reading it issue by issue. It's got that it's got that thing that Robert Kirkman sometimes does, and he particularly does it with Invincible, where there's a lot of like there's a lot of dead space on pages. Like you'll have three panels <laughs> on a single page, and you're like, okay, well that that's you know. It can look nice, but sometimes it just means that you can just go like, and the whole thing's done. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So Thieves of Thieves, but definitely the Manhattan Projects are definitely pick up. Cool. Well, uh, should we move on to uh, let's see our next item on the agenda? Uh, I'd be very cross if I don't get to use this uh, <laughs> my preparation for this podcast. The only preparation that I did. Uh, yeah. I believe it's time to uh, hazily recap a Marvel Comics event. Yes, brilliant. Last time we promised that we would talk about Secret Invasion um, in our hasty, hazy recaps of past Marvel events. Um, you've just read this for the first time, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I, I decided, because I'm subscribed to the database, I, I thought I should check it out as a sort of... Check out all of Marvel's past events and see, A, how they stack up against um, against Fear Itself and AVX, I guess. And uh, just because just I, you know... I, I, I guess I enjoy causing myself pain. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, have you... Well, let, let's talk a little bit about what Secret Invasion's about, first of all, um, and, and then we'll we'll kind of look more at, at the recap. Um, so basically, Secret Invasion was the culmination of a few years, actually, worth of storylines, um, going right back to the formation of New Avengers, um, when Bendis started that about 10 years ago now, um, maybe a little bit less than that, um, but... Um, having disassembled the Avengers, he reassembled them with Marvel's most popular characters, so Spider-Man, uh, the Hulk, Captain America, um, Wolverine. And no, not the Hulk, in fact, because the Hulk wasn't popular then, <laughs> because the Hulk had just bombed with uh, with Angley. Um, oh, so we, we, they cut out the Hulk um, and put in Spider-Man and Wolverine, who were cool. Um, and basically made a newer, edgier, cooler, younger, fresher version of the Avengers called the New Avengers. Um, and then throughout their time, there were there were various disasters that happened. So there was civil war where they were split um, down the middle and, um, as discussed, split into the New Avengers and the Mighty Avengers. Um, but throughout these, there was always this like kind of big internal conspiracy that was alluded to, that there were references to, and that there were some actions that happened um, that, that all basically came down to the idea that there was something going on, something rotten in the heart of the Marvel Universe. Um, and Bendis basically um, brings all of this together um, with the revelation that shape-shifting aliens, the Skrulls, have been living amongst the superheroes um, and like kind of those around the superheroes um, and are completely undetectable. Um, and that basically is... Um, for like kind of a couple of years beforehand is, is the status quo of the Marvel Universe that who do we trust? Um, if anyone could be a shape-shifting alien, like how do we know 
if we're being manipulated, why are they here? Um, and basically all of that leads to secret invasion where the, the subtle, long planning, um, vastly intelligent and, you know, dire alien conspiracy um, decide the best way to conquer the Earth is just to punch some people in the face. <laughs> because <laughs> yep, because if much. you have already attained a position of power to the extent that you know you could be absolutely in it, you could be the president, you could be the head of Shield, you could be like the majority of the superheroes in the world, you could be talk show hosts, you could be absolutely anyone. That the main thing that you're going to do at that point is punch people in the face. <laughs> I love the uh, panel where all the scrolls introduce themselves, and I think one of the scrolls is like Tom Cruise or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that, there's, that there's is perfect. Oprah, there's because this was right. This was um, right in the middle of the last election. So you had John McCain, you had Sarah Palin, you had Barack Obama, all being <laughs> or all either being revealed to be or scrolls impersonating them, basically appearing and saying. Go along with what the scrolls say, because they're awesome. You know, this is a sidebar, but do you know what I just realised the other day, rereading some old Iron Man stuff, is that Barack Obama in the Marvel Universe appointed Norman Osborn as director yeah, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, um, <laughs> Not his finest hour, admittedly. You know, he's done better things. He's done better Repeal, things. Repeal, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Good. Put Norman Osborn in charge of Hammer. Not quite so good. No, on, on the plus side, he then did order the army to attack um, Hammer once Siege started happening, and, and I think we'll get to Siege in, <laughs> in a few events' time. He also, um, yeah, he also made Cap come back as Captain America, so, you know, exactly. that, that was all right. But uh, anyway, we're getting off track. Uh, yeah, let, let's, so let's start at the beginning. Um, Secret Invasion, how, how does it start? Um um, well, I only read the main issues because I, I opened the database and it had about 107 comics in the Secret Invasion section. I was like, <laughs> F that. I'm not reading 107 of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's Iron Man comics from the yes. 60s, in which case you're there. In which case, just hook it up to my veins because I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. <laughs> Can I mainline it into my eyeball? <laughs> Just, I'll just get like a version of Extremis and just plug it directly into my forehead. Exactly, exactly, yeah. That's the You've only got, like, way. You've sockets in your neck with, yeah. with Iron Man comics coming out. <laughs> Tony would approve. Um, yeah. So it, does, it begins with Tony Stark, as many things I've found do, um, <laughs> where um, I can't remember who now comes into his bedroom. I think it's Spider-Woman. Comes yeah, into his bedroom. Yeah, it is Spider-Woman, yeah. Just bear with me. Spider-Woman comes into Iron Man's bedroom. I know there's been fanfics like this, I'm sure. And um, she dumps Electra's corpse at his feet, and Electra, it turns out, is, has been a scroll. And has been a scroll for a long time. This is, um, this is where normally the fanfics diverge. Yeah. If, you know, if, uh, if Spider-Woman brings Electra into Tony Stark's bedroom, normally it goes a different way to this. <laughs> Yeah, Tony's a bit disappointed, and he he decides to go and tell all of his mates, the Illuminati, uh, that it seems like the scrolls. It's just dawned on him that the scrolls have infiltrated every level of society uh, because if they can infiltrate uh, at the time, Electra was the leader of like this ninja cult called the Hand, who are pretty secretive and uber. So if they've infilt- managed to infiltrate the highest ranks of the Hand, and no one could tell that Electra was a scroll, then things are pretty bad. Now, the Illuminati. Um, in the Marvel Universe, all the smartest and um, most powerful men in the Marvel Universe occasionally meet up, and what they seem to mainly do is complain at each other. <laughs> and that's called the Illuminati. So it's Tony Stark, Reed Richards, uh, Professor X... Black Bolt. Uh, yeah, Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans, and Doctor Who Strange. Who on the moon, and yeah, Doctor Strange, yeah. Yeah. And is that anyone else? Um, well, Captain America joins after the Infinity Gauntlet stuff. Oh, yeah, and, and actually, I think that um, in the in some of the Marvel Now stuff, uh, Black Panther's joining, oh, that's which makes good. a lot of sense, because you would have thought that they would have invited Black Panther. Yeah, they, he is a king. And a really smart guy. But you see, he's also quite good with women, and I don't think they wanted him in in their club. <laughs> <laughs> There's only room for one womanizing guy in the Illuminati. I didn't mean uh, that kind of good. I meant that he's, you know, generally a decent person. 
Yeah. He he got to slap Tony Stark in the oh, face uh, that was in gorgeous. Avengers vs. X Men. It that was it was the highlight of Avengers vs. X Men. It was worth it for that one moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, so do you want to take over from here? Yeah. So um, so it it basically it turns out that actually the Illuminati themselves have been infiltrated and Black Bolt. Uh, turns out to have been replaced by a scroll. Which, bearing in mind that Black Bolt is supposed to be one of the most powerful individuals in the uh, in the Marvel universe, he, he's very he, so. His power is that his voice is really powerful and really loud, basically. Um, <laughs> and so, if he speaks even a single word, he could destroy mountains. You know, if he shouts, he could crack the earth in two. Um, and he has been somehow overcome and replaced by. This uh, this scroll who fights the Illuminati, they win, but they all realise that actually they can't trust one another. Um, and we we open um, secret invasion proper um, with basically um, well basically a, a scroll ship crash lands on Earth, and everyone immediately goes, "Oh, this is the start of the invasion." Because if, again, if you're a completely secretive um, race who's it completely infiltrated the planet already. The way that you would announce your invasion is by conspicuously crashing a spaceship into the planet. Yep. <laughs> That's how I'd start it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And my, this is my main problem with it, is that... Um, did you ever read The Animorphs, the uh, children's series um, of books by K.A. Applegate? Uh, this is where I out myself as a complete philistine. I watched the TV series... <laughs> The TV series, uh, the TV series actually starred um, the the X Men films. Um, Bobby Drake, Iceman, as <laughs> um, as Jake, the leader of the of the Animorphs. But basically, that that's an entire book series, and this is probably my my uh, favourite series of books uh, as a child. But the the whole um, series is all about how um, aliens are invading the world. They're parasitic brain slugs. They could be anyone, just like the scrolls. Um, but they're doing it completely. They're not doing it Independence Day style. And they, like, all of the characters always comment on the fact that if you are capable of doing this, there is no point at all um, if you're an alien race, you know, and you've got all the time that you want to to take to conquer the Earth. Why waste your resources? Why bother with, you know, last stand battles? Like, even in um, even in Secret Invasion, the, the, the characters, like, kind of, to one another say like why don't they just blow us up from space like why like even if they did want a full-out fight they've got giant spaceships in orbit above the earth why don't they just shoot us with a laser and like take out new york where all of us are based well um sorry have you ever but, seen um, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the cartoon series that was yeah, running until yeah. recently? The way they did Secret Invasion was fantastic because what they did was that they infiltrated everyone. Uh, they infiltrated up to the very highest levels of society and they replaced Captain America with a scroll. Yeah. And when the time came for the invasion, they basically had Cap come on TV and say, the scrolls are here and they want us to become a client race, basically. And they don't, they don't mean us any harm and they're just going to... Basically, they're just going to enslave us. It'll be fine, guys. Because yeah. <laughs> he's Captain America, everyone trusts him. And um, it's, it was a really good way of doing it. And sort of, it may, it, it ha- so you had the sort of, um, some of the Avengers sort of tearing themselves apart over paranoia. Tony Stark desperately trying to sort of make a way of trying to tell who was a scroll and who wasn't and getting increasingly paranoid and crazy, just, you know, trying to work this out. And sort of, this sort of battle against um, this influence. And it did end in a big fight because um, I think the scrolls were going to the White House to, to get the president or something. But it, it kind of made sense that there was a big fight and that Cap wanted to... Cap escaped from the scroll ship at sort of just as the invasion was starting. And so when the ship crashed on Earth, it was all the survivors from the scroll ship. <laughs> um, which, so. which is much more... <laughs> That makes much more sense. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, choking on some tea. <coughs> that makes much more sense than what actually happens, which is that the basically all the superheroes go to the Savage Land, which is a a land filled with dinosaurs and prehistoric. It's basically it's the land that time forgot. Um, so all the superheroes rock up there. They open this spaceship, and 1960s costume versions of all the superheroes come out. 
um, including loads and loads of heroes who died um, or um, have been acting oddly. And, and so you get, like, kind of basically, again, it's a case of are any of these real? Like, are these the real superheroes? And actually, um, the ones that we've been following for ages have all been replaced. Um, or are, is this just a scroll, tri- scroll trick? Um, they then all have a massive fight. Of course. Because, uh, and, and even Luke Cage just basically even says, I know that this is the wrong thing to do, and like we really should get back to, to New York because this is obviously a trick. But I'm really fed up of this, <laughs> so I'm just going to punch you. I um, love Luke and, Cage. And does. Um, <laughs> and... And then basically they have a fight. Um, it turns out that all of the ones aboard the ship were scrolls. Um, but but the 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 actual reveal during and this is so this is like there's how many like issues are there in this series? There's like I think eight. Yeah, and the first four or so are just spent in the Savage Land. Yeah, fight not, having fights. not really adding anything to the plot. Um, but the only really like coherently important thing at this point is that it's revealed that Spider Woman um, is a scroll. Is, yeah. is actually the leader of the scrolls. Can I um, um, can I talk about? Yeah, how yeah. She you interject here because th- this is this is <laughs> this one is, that you love. I know this is one of my favourite moments ever. Uh, it it was uh, basically um, to, when they started the invasion. Um, the scrolls. Um, hacked uh, all of Stark technology, they disabled it, because at the time Iron Man, after Civil War, was director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff ran on Stark technology um, because, you know, business and um, <laughs> big so, fat defense contracts oh yeah and so uh one of the things that they that they hacked and gave a virus to was iron man's extremists and now i haven't really talked about extremists before um i'll probably talk about it closer to the iron man 3 film because it's a big storyline pretty much the definitive iron man storyline but basically all you guys need to know is that comics tony stark is much more of a cyborg than uh film tony stark he can interface with his armor directly through like nano machines or something. Nano machines in his beard, let's say. And um, so, uh, because this virus is attacking him inside his body, he's really sick and he's sort of sweaty and stumbling around. And he's trying to find like a solution to this problem. He, he can't use his armor, so he's got to go and use bits of the crash ship to build himself a new armor. And while he's doing that, um, Spider Woman comes up to him and she's like, I'm the scroll queen. Do you know who else is a scroll, Tony? You. And he's like, no, no, that's not right. I'd know if I was a scroll. She's like, no, no, you, you underwent something so that you would believe you were Tony Stark. And think about all the things that you've done, especially Civil War, Tony, because that was a big <laughs> mistake. <laughs> he's like, and then he's like, maybe I am a scroll. <laughs> 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 so Tony Stark spends the majority of this series either vomiting, um, like the, the, there's you know pages and pages of Tony Stark throwing up everywhere while the fight scene's going on, or you know having his mind messed with by an alien queen, um, or, or or you know like kind of not really being very effective in any way at all. It's it's a complicated relationship I have with my favourite character, but I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... Um, the Savage Land thing happens. I think Reed Richards turns up right at the end, and he reveals that he's got this, this gun that he's made that yeah. reverts so Reed, to the... Yeah, Reed Richards yeah. has basically been captured by... Um, it turns out that giant man Hank Pym um, has been a scroll all along. He shoots Reed Richards in the face with this gun, um, but then... Abigail Brand, who is the the head of Sword, which is um, the version of Shield for space, um, the Sentinel Sentinel World's Observation and Response Department, um, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the government and their acronyms. As, yep. as Beast comments in Astonishing X Men where they first meet them. Um, basically, she turns up, saves Reed Richards from a scroll ship where he's being experimented on. He builds a. A super gun that reveals scrolls, um, which I absolutely love because that really does take Reed Richards back to his um, like kind of his Silver Age roots um, in the sixties, where every single Fantastic Four plot from the early Stan Lee era um, was completely resolved by 
Reed Richards builds something and it stops whatever's going wrong. You know, um, it was one of the reasons that I actually really, really enjoy the resolution of Fantastic Four, the movie. Um, because although it's it's not a great movie, um, I just love that the ending is basically they do science and that's how they stop Doctor Doom. <laughs> they, they use really, really elementary physics of if something's really hot and you call it really fast, it solidifies. And, and, and that's the resolution. Like science... Science, bitches! That's Reed Richards' way! Um, His science is better than yours. Exactly, and it's quality. And I, I really enjoy this as well, that basically their, their Deus Ex Machina is, uh, in every case, Reed Richards turns up with a super gun and reveals who all the bad guys are. All, all the bad guys get beaten up. Um, and then we go back to New York, where it turns out that while they were having their shenanigans in the Savage Land, um, the, the Avengers lost... Um, and the rest of the planet has been conquered. Whoops. Which is absolutely brilliant, because they, they really do a very good job of showing the scale of this invasion um, and showing like how bad things are. And they, they do that time-honoured Marvel tradition of, let's throw every single super team we have at this problem um, and fail. So um, the Young Avengers start off, like kind of throughout the comics, you see the Young Avengers fighting the Skrull invasion in New York. They lose... The initiative turns up, so all like loads and loads of heroes who have been banded together um, after Civil War to basically be um, to be recruits, like kind of more like soldiers. Um, that they, they all turn up, they lose. Um, Nick Fury turns up with his caterpillar group, um, the, the Secret Warriors, um, who basically they're, they're his caterpillars. They're going to grow up to be great superheroes. They show up, they rescue a few of the initiative, they rescue the Young Avengers. And then they flee, and New York at this point is basically lost. Um, the X-Men are over in their own book. Um, the X-Men actually, the, the X-Men Secret Invasion spin-off, I don't know if you read this, Olivia. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, the only Secret Invasion spin-off I'd read prior to this was Captain Britain and MI13, which wow, is brilliant. amazing. That That's one of the best spin-offs, and, and that's just a brilliant series. In fact, let's talk about that next week, because that's yes. a brilliant series. Let's do that. Um, but yeah, the, the X Men, the X Men one is absolutely great. Basically, um, scrolls turn up in San Francisco where the X Men are based, put it under siege, and basically say, unless the X Men surrender themselves, we're going to kill like ten thousand people an hour. Um, you know, there's no way to stop us. We're just going to do this, which which actually is a very sensible thing and probably something that the scroll should have done to the Avengers. Um, <laughs> probably. But but basically, the X-Men solution to that is that um, Beast comes up with a variant strain of the legacy virus, which almost killed all of mutant kind, and they basically commit genocide. So they release this virus that will kill every single scroll um, aboard a scroll ship and basically say, and again, it's kind of, you know, his science. Um, <laughs> They basically just say, "Yeah, we've released a, a biological weapon on you. Um, if you, you know, if you take this victory, it will completely destroy the Skrull Empire. Um, or you can back off, and we can give you the uh, the antidote." Um, and the Skrulls go, "No, we'll destroy our own ships rather than um, like kind of go along with this." So they destroy all their own ships in an attempt to kill the X Men anyway. The X Men all escape, but it's great because it, it's the X Men committing. You know, genocide, or you know, at the very least, the threat of genocide, uh, in order to to stop something, which is how most superhero comic books should end. <laughs> yeah, and then and then we wiped out their entire race. Well, you know, you can't trust those mutants. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that that's that's right. Mutants, they're the worst. They are. You can't trust them. But back over in the uh, in the real. Uh, secret invasion book in New York, the only the only place that matters. Uh, there's a there's, the Avengers show up, and there's a huge fight. I think yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's, that's the simplest it. That's way the of next four. That's the next four <laughs> issues. Um, yeah, everyone shows up. Thor turns up. New Captain America turns up. Um, all the bucky. bad guys show up. That's a nice bit. All yeah. of the bad guys who have been fighting the Avengers and the new Avengers, all basically all the super criminals, just go, yeah, we're, we're not actually that keen on the Skrulls taking over the planet <laughs> either. Um, 
So we're going to join forces and, and everyone gets together and they all meet in Central Park and they have a big fight. <laughs> and it, that fight does last for about two or three issues. Yeah. And uh, it's, it is just like panel after panel, big splash pages of just everyone just going at it, hammer and tongs. It's just... And then the the way that the um, fight is finished is uh, Janet Van Dyne, uh, Hank Pym's uh, estranged wife, gets really big, and somehow that kills the scrolls. Well, they they I think that the, the the reasoning behind that is that Hank Pym has given her something that yeah. allows her to grow really big, but it turns out that's actually their secret weapon, um, and it's supposed to like it's supposed to kill everyone. Um, and it's their fail-safe in case the Skrull invasion is failing to kill everyone. But Thor traps it in a whirlwind and it just kills her. I don't. I didn't really understand that bit, I'll I, be I honest that, with you. That's meant, I think that's meant to be what happens. <laughs> she she dies because of something that Skrull Hank Pym has given to her. Uh, even Skrull Hank Pym is a jerk. <laughs> Can't catch I, a break. I blame everything that Jerk Hank Pym has ever done on Scroll Hank Pym. Yeah. I think real Hank Pym is awesome. <laughs> well, real Hank Pym is pretty pretty cool in a sort of awkward way. I, I, he's genuinely one of my favourite characters. Uh, we'll have to um, do an episode about him when Ant Man comes out. Cause yeah, yeah, def- just just a, a history of Hank Pym. I have a lot. Jerk. Of, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Hank Pym as well. So. I have all the feelings about Hank Pym. <laughs> um, so, awesome. so yeah, basically, the Wasp dies, um, and, and then Norman Osborn, um, who is in all of the Spider-Man movies, um, the the bad guy Green Goblin. Um, he he, he shoots the Scroll Queen in. This, this is a bit that I love. He shoots the Scroll Queen in the head with a gun. Um, and, and before this, there's been a few issues of Deadpool, where Deadpool is trying to find out how you can kill the Scroll Queen and trying to send that information to Nick Fury. Um, and it gets hijacked by Norman Osborn. <laughs> what I love is that their solution of, you know, how, how can we kill the Scroll Queen? And the answer, you shoot her in the head. <laughs> well, it seems to work for most things. Yeah, but, like, why spend three issues of a Deadpool comic on him finding out this information and, like, it, you know, he has to fight his way through, like, hundreds and hundreds of scrolls, like, there's, there's you know, three issues worth of fights so that he can get this really important information that no one knows the answer to and the solution is just, you get a gun, you put it to her head, you blow her brains all over the wall. <laughs> like, a, like a space Kurt Cobain. That is very Deadpool, though. It is, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Norman Osborn shoots her, <laughs> and, beca- and because of this, he becomes head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, Barack Obama obviously sees this on his thing. He's like, that's the guy I want in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. Forget Which you, is, Tony Stark. Yeah, and again, that that's great, because like the, the, the setup to it is that Wolverine is running at her with claws outstretched, um, like ready to you know chop a head off or knife her or something in the face. Um, so so really, there's an alternate world where Norman Osborn missed that shot, and the head of Shield was Wolverine. I wish that we could have seen that world. There's there is in fact there's a um an a, not Elseworlds what are they called for Marvel what if there's a what if um what if Wolverine became an agent of Shield and in that he becomes head of Shield. And it's brilliant. He doesn't join the X-Men because Nick Fury comes to Canada first. Um, and so by the time Professor X arrives, he's already been signed up to S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, um, cool. And so when Nick Fury is killed in an operation that goes wrong, um, he's next in line at that point And he becomes the, That's pretty the head awesome. of S.H.I.E.L.D. And is just awesome because he's spy Wolverine. I will say though, I'm very glad that this event removed Tony as director of Shield because he's his character's completely unsuited for the role and he's much better not in charge of Shield. Yeah, he's he's better not in charge of anything, frankly, Olivia. He's he's a failure. Hey. He's no That's... good. Like we we even tried to do this, like kind of with a with a couple of your friends contributing as well. Like trying to work out what event Tony Stark has been good in, like what what event he's actually achieved something in. Fear itself. Fear itself is the only one. Well, yeah, 
But also, yeah, his, look, okay. <laughs> he might not be that impressive in crossovers, but in his own book he does some pretty cool stuff. But that's um, his own book. Like, there shouldn't... If you can't do... Like, who doesn't do good stuff in their own book? The Great Lakes Initiative, or Avengers, or X-Men, or whatever they're calling themselves now. Oh, I know. In Avengers vs. X-Men, he, he might have screwed up at the beginning, but later on he helps out and it's pretty cool. Uh, no, he doesn't. What's he done since? He, he helped take down Cyclops. Not uh, yet. No, it... They haven't taken down Cyclops yet. One of, he... the, one of the times Cyclops showed up, he helped take him down, because I remember the panel of him saying, this is everything I've got left, Summers, enjoy it. And I thought that was really cool. And he beat Magneto in Avengers vs. X-Men. That was stupid. That, well, let's not get started on Avengers vs. X-Men. We will definitely come to Avengers vs. X-Men. <laughs> but time was, will come. That technically was not Magneto. Like, I can't believe that we're having an argument about who would win in a fight between Iron Man and Magneto. Iron but, Man, no question. But, no, no, hang on. All that happened was Magneto was somehow sensing the power of other planets and another planet got destroyed and that threw him off a bit. I'm sorry, but there is no way that a guy as intelligent as Tony Stark would go into a fight against Magneto wearing magnetic armour. Yeah, no, he didn't. He just got slammed around by all the other bits of metal that Magneto could pick up and punched him with. Anyway, anyway. let's not get drawn into a fight between um, an, an old, you know, uh, an old guy who survived outfits and uh, a guy who's got a dynamo for a heart. Uh, He's got a heart condition, okay? He's, He's a recovering a alcoholic with a heart condition. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and you know what? You can go and see this exact fight any Friday on the streets <laughs> near you. Just go, go and find a run-down area and you can find an alcoholic with a heart condition fighting an old guy who fought in World War II. That, I don't know. I don't know where you could do that. Coventry. Ah, Coventry. <laughs> Hey, my, some of my family comes from there. <laughs> well, it's rubbish. Um, to all our listeners in Coventry, we apologise. <laughs> yes, sorry, Coventry you're in Coventry. is wonderful. <laughs> Coventry Transport Museum is very good. It has a very good nostalgia comics um, with, has... with plenty of um, good deals. But Birmingham is better. Um, that, that's basically Secret Invasion. Yep, that's Secret Invasion. And... Um, yeah, I don't recommend it. It's better than Civil War, but... I, I really enjoy it. It's totally ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And, and, and there's lots of bits about it that bother me, particularly the fact that it just ends in fights. Um, like, they just... Like, they pad it out eight issues by just having four pages of fights in Savage Land and four pages of fights in... <laughs> four issues of fights in Central Park. Um, but I think, like, there are a lot of good bits in it. I, th- I think particularly, particularly the bit where Nick Fury tells, like, where they say, where the scrolls reveal that, that the reason that they've been doing this is because they think that God wants them to. And Nick Fury turns around and says, yeah, well, my God's got a hammer. And then <laughs> Thor smacks him. <laughs> that was that was pretty quality. That was, that, was, that was pretty good, yeah. All right. If you're a big fan of superhero fights... Or if, like me, you enjoy watching Iron Man barf on himself, I recommend <laughs> this crossover. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably the tagline that they're going to use for all future uh, copies of the uh, of the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's got... about the best recommendation that we can give, in all honesty. Um, it, no, it's it's not the best crossover that there has ever been, but it's, it's eminently enjoyable. Um, and it, I think the main thing is that it's a really nice, uh, like, kind of, end point to the whole invasion lead up that has been going on across quite a few titles um, and it has got some really good spin-offs so the x-men the x-men issues secret invasion are really good um the incredible herc mm. uh sacred invasion is really good where he he teams up with a load of other gods and or demigods and goes and fights the scroll gods in space um <laughs> That's quality, and uh, as you were saying, Captain Britain and MI13 is really, really good, and I think we'll talk about that and, and maybe some other British icons yes. next, uh, next time. Um, we're also going to discuss a little bit more about Marvel Now. Um, Marvel Now, um, which is happening soon. 
it's Marvel now. It's in imminent. Future. Yeah, it's it will very soon be Marvel now. Now, um, we'll talk about some British icons, as we said. What's the what's the next thing that we can discuss? I don't want to go on to see. Well, maybe let's do Siege. Uh, do Siege next. Yeah, we could do Siege. I'm trying to. Excellent. Yeah, sure. Siege. Why not? Okay, cool. And are there a couple of comics that you're going to talk about next time? Um. Uh. Yeah, I'll think of some. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you put me Good. on the well, spot that, there. That's probably a good idea. Let's talk about Saucer Country. Uh, have you? I don't know if you've been picking that up, but that's pretty quality. Uh, and I might, I might also talk about um, Knight and Squire. Oh, Knight and Squire is fantastic. Yeah, let, let's include that in our British uh, British superheroes season. Yes. Um, yeah, that's all we've got time for this week on the Cape on the Cow. But thank you very much for joining us. Please do let us know if you uh, have any comics that you'd like us to talk about, if you'd like us to hazily recap any events, um, or if you'd just like to hear what we think about some stuff that you have thoughts about. Um, we're happy to, to take your questions. We're happy to respond to your comments. Let us know if you enjoyed it. Um, and... Again, as as last time, I urge you that if there's been a comic that you're interested in, go out and try and find it. Buy it. It's you guys that will support your local comic book shop. It's you guys that will keep this industry going. Um, so if there's even one comic that you like to send out from this podcast, um, message us and we'll let you know where you can find a place to get it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Goodbye. Bye. Impossible. Impossible.